I wanted to be a princess. And the idea that I could still be sad as a princess blew my mind, you know, and... (laughs) So no, the idea that you could both be sad and a princess, that was like the holy grail. Yeah. First I got your voicemail, then I got you. We can meet in person or maybe on Zoom. So tell me what's your genre, tell me what do you do? I'd like to know the things that specifically make you. Hey, I'm Tim Barnes, and you are the genre. That's a fact that also happens to be the name of this podcast, where I help people map out how they became their own genre or help them map out how to become their own genre. Sorry, I feel like I turned into Oprah there. But to do all this, I asked my guests about the first genres that inspired them, the first crafts that they pursued, and what their relationship is to that craft now. Eliza Cosio is a writer, comedian, filmmaker, and actor. And we first met while staffed on the HBO series Wyatt's and Axe Problem Areas. She was a writer who had just left The Daily Show, and I was a web producer who had just left the world of podcast production. But look at me now. Full Full circle, circle, baby. baby. But in all seriousness, I started this show as a means of easing some of that friction between crafts. Because as I've gone on to write for TV shows, an uneasy feeling has started to set in when it comes to balancing my stand-up and my solo writing and my skills as a video and audio editor. Do I really need to pursue only one of those things? And should I feel guilty if I can't fire on all cylinders in each of those spheres? I think it really came to a head for me during the pandemic when I was writing for The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. Since it was during the pandemic, I've never met Jimmy in person, so no, I don't know what his breath smells like. But okay, this rant will continue at the end of the credits. Let's focus on Eliza, shall we? She's a Mexican-American writer, actress, and comedian from California who currently writes for Taika Waititi's pirate comedy Our Flag Means Death and This Fool. She co-wrote and acted in the award-winning short film La Bruja, and her latest short film We Should Get Dinner premiered at South by Southwest in 2022. Fun fact, I had a small part in that movie, and Eliza's partly why this show even exists. We talked about that to kick off the interview. Eliza, welcome to... Already number one on Billboard somehow, the You Are the Genre podcast. You are the first guest. Very happy to have you here. Tim, thank you. And welcome to you. Welcome (laughs) to your first episode. (laughs) I have something on my newsletter where people choose whatever text-based communication, and we talk to each other for three days. You chose text messaging, and Mm -hmm. I look back, and we talked in, I think, June, and... A part of our conversation is what sparked this whole idea for the podcast, where at some point I tried to um, condense what I had been going through this year in terms of my uh, engagement with different forms of media and the entertainment industry by saying it it all kind of sums up into this mush of I am the genre. And if it wasn't for your response to that, I never would have really thought about it. But you... uh, (laughs) You were really, uh, I could, I feel like I could hear you all the way on the other coast, writing it down on a post-it. Where were you at the time we were talking then? And what was it that like stuck out to you about that, that phrase or the question of being the genre? I think that the idea of, I mean, I've just always been trying to fit in, in, in like truly every, every way (laughs) and coming into my, my gosh, my mid thirties, I've been thinking more I've been feeling more comfortable with being myself I guess and the idea of making of you being your own thing and not fitting into certain boxes is is always like an attractive idea to me and I think on a process level with writing I, I just always struggle with tone and how to find the right thing and feeling pulls between different you know, versions of myself or different genres that I like or different things that I like and not always being able to find the middle. And so I think the idea of just doing what you want is really, (laughs) uh, it's taking me so long to learn to do that, you know? Yeah, it's oddly freeing. And this is like the best time to do it, it feels like, because the industry itself doesn't even know what it is. It's like, am I a TV channel? Am I... 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my uh, selling toys to children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is like, I guess, uh, you know, sorry to get into postmodernism so early, but like, isn't that what postmodernism is? Like, everything gets so f***ed up that like nothing has definitions really anymore and everything's just kind of all mixed around. And I guess as like, artists or creators or, or or however you know we think of ourselves like it, it kind of makes sense that we would follow that like social I don't know temperature so let's talk about the first genre that inspired you for me it was science fiction I realized like science fiction was the yeah. first like big you know amorphous genre that caught my attention and I didn't realize it till I read the novelization of flubber uh, of Robin oh. Williams flubber and I was like and I was like, I wanted to be a mad scientist. I wanted to invent Flubber. Um, oh and all of that kind of spiraled into like wanting to create, like write and, you know, because I realized I, I wasn't good enough at math to be a scientist. But what really caught my attention within the genre of science fiction was like the people who created these crazy science fiction ideas. Oh, that's so cool. I was thinking about this question because my like instinct is also science fiction and kind of magical realism or things that kind of deal with reality and fantasy and a lot of that comes from just stories that like my grandfather used to tell me he had a lot of tall tales and would talk about his life it, it was a lot like the movie big fish where albert finney like talks about his life with these insane like <laughs> witches and and floods and things like that that you're like are you sure this happens and, and, and it up until i spent a lot of time at my grandparents house and, and up up till like when I when I was spending time there, he would talk about like the spirits that lived in the backyard and the poltergeist that they had to exercise from the house and stuff. And and he would tell these stories in in this way that like you know I don't remember you know exactly how he would tell them, but I remember the impact of them and how much they were so fascinating to me. And I think also being raised Catholic, I always for some reason just had like a fundamental like inability to understand God. And, uh. and it seemed to me kind of magical. <laughs> and <laughs> I was always trying to come think I was thinking of God and like the Bible as like these magical stories. And I was kind of intrigued by them as that. And so, so I don't know, there, there's something about like, a very early exposure to bending reality that was mm. that was really interesting to me that and sad princesses I was so like <laughs> I think sad princess is a genre that <laughs> yeah I never thought I always think you know princesses but I never put the word sad in front of it and there is all yeah. princess stories start off with intense sorrow <laughs> yeah yeah and, and I think that you know it is so commonplace now like every Disney princess is a sad princess but the idea of it at the time was so novel to me because I wanted to be a princess. And I, the idea that I could still be sad as a princess blew my mind, you know? And <laughs> so, no, the idea that you could both be sad and a princess is what that was like the holy grail. Yeah. Like, I didn't yeah. know that was possible. Yeah, it was like bending reality to my like six year old brain of if you, how could you be a princess and be sad? Um, and <laughs> so I love these princess stories and, and like my favorite movie to this day is Roman Holiday, which I saw when I was 10 years old. And Wait, who was it, showing you Roman Holiday at 10 years old? <laughs> I know. My mother, because I was doing a, a biography on Audrey Hepburn in class and she was like, oh, you got to watch Roman Holiday. And she, she, you know, she didn't show me breakfast at Timmy's because it's about a, you know, a prostitute. But I like watched it and it was one of those things that, uh, and I'd be curious what these things are for you, like where you just watch it and you just know I'm going to love this for the rest of my life. This is like, this has everything I love in it. A sad princess, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, running around Rome after you get a great yeah. haircut with two cute boys. Like it just was everything. already connects a, a few things, I feel like, because Rome is the heart of the Catholic church. And, oh my um, God, you're right. <laughs> and I, I remember I took a study abroad trip to Rome and um, I was there for two months and we were in Paris for a month studying film. I wanted to be a filmmaker. Mm. I think the films I made, I made two, they were, they were shot in like, you know, 
uh, DV hammers or whatever. They were awful. Uh-huh. It was me trying to embarrassingly uh, trying to be like Woody Allen, a black oh, Woody okay. Allen or something. Sure, um, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but um, I remember there were. Uh, I mean, I, I think I, I was I was the only actual somehow there was like a guy who wasn't a student who was on the study. It was like through Santa Barbara <laughs> City College. So okay. I was the only black student there. There was another like older black guy <laughs> older than me who was somehow on the trip. And I, I, Santa Barbara, too, like crazy, interesting collision of cultures there yeah. and of status there. There's a lot of Mexican yeah. people in Santa Barbara and there's a lot of, you know, Oprah Winfrey lives there apparently and a bunch of yeah. like uh, yeah. quote unquote Nepo babies or whatever. So the collision of that is interesting. I think there was only, his name was Angel. His name is Angel. He was the only uh, Mexican kid on the trip as well. And he was finding all these parallels between, you know, speaking Spanish and how similar that was to Italian. And I could uh. see that he, he, you know, I was processing the fact that I was discovering, oh, this is what it means to be. I was like, I'm not African. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily Amer- I was like, but I'm I'm just like whatever black means, that's what I am. That's what I learned from going to Europe at that, at that age. Wow. Um, wow yeah. and he was processing a lot of stuff like that too. And so do you think the sort of disconnect you had with like analyzing religion was was in some way you realizing like there's like there's differences between Catholicism and whatever the native religions that maybe you don't have, you know, complete understanding of, like, were you sort of realizing this collision of things with your grandparents? So yeah, that's a good, that's a good thought. Because, you know, my, so my, my dad's side is Mexican, my mom's side is also Mexican, but my dad's side had a particularly deep connection to its indigenous roots. And um, not, not necessarily my dad, but my grandparents had that connection. And like, my grandfather would say that, again, this is, it all gets wrapped up in his tall tales, but that like we were Aztec and that that's like where, how we're able to speak to some of these spirits. Like everybody in on my dad's side has a connection to other realms. Like they uh. can talk to ghosts <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> they know ghosts. And um, I don't have that. It, it skipped me. And I, I think know because... Of. Well, it, it's interesting you say that because my uncle recently was like, I think you just have to open yourself up to it. It's very like, you know, pr- premise of a Disney of a Disney movie. But I say that because of Encanto, I think. But anyway, it's it, yeah, there was there, there was a lot more folklore that goes against Catholicism. And on my mom's side, you know, famously, my mom was a nun before she married my dad. Uh, that's how Catholic. Did we talk about this before? I did not. I don't, I don't know. Think I knew that. We? Okay, that's yeah. that's fascinating. Your mom was a nun. It wasn't like she was she was considering becoming a nun. Your no. mother was a nun, Nine and then months. met your father. So they went to high school together. So they dated in high school, and then my mom was like, "I gotta go to the convent." Um, <laughs> and then she didn't like the convent and came back, and then they dated in college again. What do you think your mom was seeking? Like, what was it a genuine calling, or do you think it was a bit of expectation? Or it's a good question. I, I think she she felt it as a calling, and, and she you know went to Catholic schools, and a lot of the teachers were nuns, and she she's a teacher, and she was drawn to the teaching ethic of of the nuns that she knew, and she just felt it was her path at the time, and and I I asked her about it a lot because. You know, obviously, I'm trying to mine my mother for these stories <laughs> to write, but um, she speaks of it as like really thinking it was the thing, and then getting there, and then her mother superior being like, "I actually don't think this is you." Very, very um, sound of music. Yeah. My mom's side of the family had had a much more Catholic idea of things, and when I asked my grandmother on my mom's side, for instance, about witches and and folklore and stuff, she's like. We don't we don't talk about that. <laughs> like oh yeah, and that's what fascinates me as well because I feel like Black people in America have a very um, disconnected um, sensibility with the mesh of cultures that, that we were yeah. a part of uh, before being forced to <laughs> to come to this continent. I feel yeah. like yeah, speak talk about science fiction. That's like the, <laughs> there are a lot of people talk about how like you know um, Black history is Black horror. Black history is also like 
white science fiction in a, in a way like um wait can you expand but, on that like how how does that how, how do you mean well it will just like the idea of like being abducted by aliens that's arguably exactly what happened to black to black mm-hmm. people to get to you know and being experimented on and all, all kinds of stuff like all kinds of things that are generally science fiction or like our science fact uh, for us historically. Oh my God. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the disconnect or like, we don't talk about that or like that's somehow too far, but it's never like very explicit. You just kind of, there are these weird gray areas surrounding so many things where it's like, partly because we don't know the history and we yeah. have, but, but we've clearly like inserted elements of all these other religions and cultures into the way that generally, you know, the, the idea of the the general black church or whatever, the way that we express um, uh, religion and like dancing and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always thinking about that. But are you frustrated with religion at all? Because trying to think of a through line of, or at least like we should get dinner and some <laughs> of your other work, there's, it's not necessarily that you're, there's a frustration <laughs> that comes across from your characters and, uh, and, uh, uh, right, it's but like, I'm not trying to take down the Catholic Church. <laughs> You're not trying to take down the Catholic Church, but it's a frustration that almost feels mm-hmm. like the impossible to um, really get to the end of frustration you might have with a, a religion or a government <laughs> or government that your characters have. Yeah, yeah. I, I always, I, if there was a, a deep frustration with God, and in in that, I remember thinking like. If God was real, then he'd bend squares to be circles because that's literally impossible <laughs> to make a square for a square to be a circle, but God could do it. And I would look oh. at squares on like I would look at these tiles in my house in the doorway and be like, God would turn these into circles. He would know how to bend that geometry. Is such uh you were doing like uh like quantum theory like the fact that you were like it's it's like it's it's amazing it's like so childlike but still like mind-blowing that you were thinking in shapes like god you you were saying that you were you saying that if i were god right now i would have the ability to turn this square into a circle or you were just saying you're just kind of saying like general why is everything the way that it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, why are there rules to things if God exists? Yeah. If God exists, then um, n- not that it would be chaos, but that like, why, why, why isn't magic real? Why isn't fantasy real? Um, yeah. Okay. And and I think you know that ties to my draw to science to science fiction, and I, I feel silly saying that I'm I like science fiction because it feels a little removed for me, but it it also was so like deeply shaping and I feel like we've talked about the twilight zone and when my dad would show me the twilight zone as a kid I was like Mm. this is the best show I've ever seen this is like so cool and so weird and um you know we'd watch star trek so much and star wars and I I wasn't necessarily drawn into it in that way but it was just very shaping um except for twilight zone twilight zone was very like uh one of those things that I watched and I knew I would love forever it's making me think of something in in my own life that I haven't really articulated before, but the at least for like my family, it feels like there's a, there's a lot of magical thinking when it comes to faith, but then also mm-hmm. a lot of um, you know a lot of in, focus on the reality of things at the same time. I wonder if you had something like that in your life as well, where there's a lot of there's a lot of like keeping it real, but then also a glimmer of hope tied to Jesus, <laughs> like where anything oh God, is possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think we've talked about this, but I, you know, I'm a Mets fan, New York City Metropolitans. <laughs> and I don't know why, because it's not necessarily like being a baseball fan is not in my personality. It's just not something that lines up with, <laughs> with who I am to be somebody who loves going to a baseball game. But I'm drawn to the Mets. And, you know, part of it was living in New York and having like, like John Stewart was such a big fan of the Mets. And I just kind of inherited that when I was, when I was working with him, but I read that being a Mets fan means understanding and accepting complete devastation and, and depression and knowing it's coming and bracing for it, being prepared for it, but also paradoxically, (laughs) 
having yeah. an absolutely insane nugget of magical thinking in you <laughs> that says, oh, maybe they'll win this year. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that that's mind blowing. It's like, so every time you go to a Mets game, it's almost like you're going to church. You get, you got a full sermon. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And I, I take that approach to so much of how I've approached my career. I've been accepting failure at every corner, but somehow still, having delusions of miracles, I guess. <laughs> but, but it's interesting because I, I have this problem with faith being that way, but I'm, but I seem to be taking the model into other yeah. parts of my life. Which feels very sad princessy. It's all coming together. Oh my God. The last thing about God, I mean, my big thing when I was a kid, like with the shape thing that you had, it was, uh, I remember asking my dad, sitting down and be like, um, in the car, in the car, uh, being like, so God created us, right? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> but then just like the fact that just God exists, like no one created him. He just existed to create stuff. That's like the biggest question of them all. You like it's still egged God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just that is the that is. I mean, that's why you have you have to worship someone so powerful to just exist. But it's just like I was so I'm still struggle with like everything has to have a reason that it was developed by accident or by purpose or whatever, but for something to simply exist, which scientists believe, you know, that's just the yeah. world. Things just exist. That is somehow still the most mind blowing, hard to wrap my head around thing. Yeah. Um, so do you, are you like very logical? Do you approach like things with reason and logic? There's a, there's a lot of magical thinking that I have that I think is similar to you. Um, but I am very, I think I'm very logic based for, uh, but I still have, um, I think my parents ingrained in me like a general sense of faith that things will mm -hmm. work out. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I don't have all of the biblical quotes to back it up, but my, my mom does. And so, uh -huh. you know, she was able to instill all this stuff in me that's like, oh yeah, I mean, thing, and then generally when I think of my life, things generally have worked out. So I don't have... Mm the a specific anxiety tied to certain things that I think is uh, some magical, some, some magical <laughs> thinking helps out. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. So what was your first official um, craft that you pursued? Was it comedy? Um, was it something else? Yeah, I think it was kind of officially comedy. I mean, I knew I wanted to be an actor pretty early on and um, I had, I had like a, a love for story that I haven't really, I've only recently been able to see in retrospect that that was something that was kind of a common thing that I was drawn to for since I was a kid. Um, but I kind of interpreted it as wanting to be an actor and wanting to be on the stage. And mm. there weren't like a lot of opportunities for that in my schools or in my community that I, you know, that, that we could afford and time and money wise. But once I went to high school, I started doing plays and loved it. And then we also had comedy sports, oh, short nice. form improv yeah. uh, team that LA has uh, like a high school league of and uh, LA County. And I, I think all Southern California has it. But anyway, um, I loved the team so much. And I was like their number one fan and I was going to all the shows. And then one day they were like, you should come, <laughs> like come to practice and see if you like it. And then, of course, I loved it. And that's around the time comedy had kind of been established for me as something that felt very intrinsically soothing in some way. And and it, it feels so uh, heady to say it that way. But the way we the way you and I talked about Conan O'Brien, making sense to us at a young age, in a way that like things before didn't make sense to us. Yeah. Um, that was kind of, you know, swaying in my head. And so once I started doing comedy, I was like, I felt like I was following that whim of, you know, the the joy that I felt watching Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And yeah, so then, so then it kind of just vaguely became, I feel like we talked about this in, in, in your newsletter, but it just vaguely became like working, how can I work in comedy? How can I work in, in the business? And I had no thought of like science fiction. I don't know, just to tie it back to like originally, like original drama a genre that I had no thought of pursuing story in these ways that like we're talking about. I just kind of was like, yeah, I like 
being funny on stage. <laughs> <laughs> but so it seems like I, I think when I started, it was more focused on stand up. But you like being a part of like sketch groups and you enjoyed the the feeling of being a part of an ensemble. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I never did sketch, but well, I did a little in college, but improv was mostly the thing. And I loved it because. I just generally have a hard time working alone. I don't know. I just, I like having other people around and it's surprising and you get more fun things. And I I wish like improv could be a job, like that that would be my pursuit. (laughs) But for you, it was like, I, were you like, I like to do it alone. I like stand up. Yeah. That, that was the first official pursuit. My first craft was like, I, I, going back from reading uh, the novelization of Flubber, um, one of the mm. greatest books of all time, um, <laughs> was... Uh, <laughs> you gotta read what, <laughs> what, what clicked to me was, you know, I'm reading this novelization of this movie that I really want to see. And so that kind of stuff. And then when like the Star Wars special editions started coming out, yeah. and you're reading all this stuff about this glorious introvert named George Lucas, who went to the school like a couple blocks away from me in South Central LA and then just through pure vision created this this masterpiece. Like I really wanted to be a, a filmmaker. Somehow comedy like emerged as like a really exciting thing. And I think it's because a lot of the filmmakers that I started to really get into were like comedians who bridged into uh, mm. film and like it progressively got more serious, like some of these filmmakers. And there was this feeling of when you say it, a joke that gets a laugh that's like, oh, I feel specifically heard. I'm not someone who has difficulty with like, I feel like people don't hear me, but I feel like I blend into the background in a strange way. But the specificity of like hearing this laughter as an acknowledgement meant that these weird (laughs) abstract thoughts, I was able to somehow hone in enough for people to recognize it and then move, move on to the next thing. So that was like the joy of it for me. Oh, that's so cool. I, that specificity is very like I as you talk about it, I can feel what that feels like in my body when you get when like when you get that feedback. And I, you know, I don't perform a lot anymore, so I, I guess I'm able to speak about it kind of romantically in this way. But like, <laughs> I, I think a thing for me in in high school doing comedy also was like people laughing at me on purpose was very calming to me as opposed to (laughs) my worst thoughts, which was that they all hated me and were all laughing at me behind corridors, you know? So that, that was also very like exciting to me (laughs) that I could make them laugh and I could get them to like me in that way. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that bridged into this, this general want to like work in comedy. And I feel like that is um, interesting to talk about right now because certain things felt so standard. This wasn't that long ago even, but certain things felt like they were never going to change and that there was a system in place and that there was a way, some sort of specific path towards joining that system. And I think you joined it in that specific path. The most mind-blowing part of our our interview in the newsletter was the fact that you you were driving an ice cream truck in New York uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before you uh-huh. before you started working at, at the Daily Show. Yeah. It's just the most. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a Coen Brothers movie or something. Yeah. Um, well, I was in, I was interning there. So I moved to New York when I got the internship. I was still in college, but it wasn't paid. It was the era. It was like the last class of interns that didn't get paid. Hmm. And, I needed a job, obviously, and my my college job was scooping ice cream, and I scooped at a really good ice cream shop in Berkeley, and <laughs> there was a new, newish ice cream shop at the time, which is now a chain, that I really liked, and, and so I went to them, and they loved that I worked at EC Ice Cream, the, the, the shop in Berkeley, but they only had jobs on the truck, and <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I guess I'll do this then because I don't know. There's nothing else. Uh, it's hard to get a job. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, I did that. But, yeah, again, I'm I'm losing the original thought behind the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> Just um, uh, like this sort of almost a traditional path. Like you start off as an intern. You went to college first of all. You graduated college, I assume. I did, yes. What, what was your major? 
oh my gosh, Tim, it was history. And <laughs> I want to, it's just a quick tangent on this, which is, this is another part of my personality that I, I haven't been able to quite add up to like the rest of my personality. Like, why did I study history? <laughs> and I'm not a smart academic person, but I try really hard to be. And, and I want to be perceived that way. And I think a lot of my being a kid in school was like yearning for that. And, and I think history sounded so prestigious or something. And, but I, I had a hard time finding like what to write my thesis on because I didn't really like history <laughs> that much. <laughs> and I ended up landing on like California water, the history of water in California. And, and I got really into it. And I got really into California history. And I was just up in Berkeley with my friend. We went there together. And I was talking to her about this. I was like, why did I, like, I, I wrote a thesis on water, like the aqueduct <laughs> in California. Like, wow, what is that with me? And She's like, well, what do you like about it? And I was like, I like this, this, the, the, the myth behind, like the California history is essentially this big myth that it's oh, this yeah. wonderful place and there's a lot of water. We should all get <laughs> here. Like the Europeans literally wrote to their kings and queens that it's the Garden of Eden. They were like from the Bible. This is the Garden of Eden. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because they wanted more money for exploration. And buying into that myth ends up like getting kind of dangerous because there's not enough water in the state. And then you have to like do all this like Chinatown to get water yeah. to Los Angeles. And she was like, that's the story. You like the story like that. And, and it kind of added up in a way to me yeah. of like, well, it sounds like uh, this is another version of you um, as a kid struggling with uh, God, the concept of God, like you're mm. told this thing but you know that there are uh, underlying truths that are hard to decipher. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you're trying, you're trying to crack the code of your um, California homeland, and yes. the myth isn't adding up with the reality. And I'm from California too, so you know, you'll see all kinds of crazy things like uh, oil rigs and. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, in Brea, by the way, I was like. <laughs> In Brea the other day, and I've been in Brea, you know, I grew up near Brea, and I was there for to see my cousin recently, and I saw the oil rigs in a way, or the, like, oil fields in a way that I, yeah. I guess I just hadn't seen before. They just blended <laughs> into the landscape before. Yeah, and I remember I used to be like, oh, they they, they kind of like like T-Rexes, right? Like, when I was a kid exactly. driving past them, I would be like, oh, yeah, these are... You know, this is this is just a. Re- I feel like I thought these were like T Rex animatronics or something. They look um, like um the like creatures in uh in episode one. Uh, I can't remember oh who they are. Not creatures like the they're like they're not stormtroopers, but they like they're droids. The roly poly droids. Droids. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Droidicas is uh what they're called. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Writing yeah. it down. Writing it down. I feel- <laughs> Awful knowing that fact, but knowing so little about water in California. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it feels it feels like uh, the fact that you were getting yeah, like you're you're trying to figure out why the myth is that you know California can turn square into circles, and clearly the squares are still all over the place. Uh, there are squares all over good, the place. Tim, assessment? Tim. Tim, that's going on another postcard. <laughs> I mean, on another index card. Squares are all over the place. You turn them into circles. <laughs> well, also, I feel like this is a soft launch for your podcast all about the history of water in California. Like, this is your, you must remember this, but it's all about... Uh, <laughs> Don't scroll away. You are the genre. We'll be right back after the break. Okay, so as of the release of this episode, there are no real ads for me to read, but I still wanted to carve out a space where some ads can maybe show up one day. I'm like a sad princess in my ivory tower waiting for a Squarespace commercial to arrive on a steed. What I'm going to do until then is recommend a few things I've been enjoying. And this time, it's all podcasts that have inspired this show in some way. The first is Three Questions, hosted by comedy and acting legend Andy Richter, where he asks the three questions... Where are you from? Where are you going? And what have you learned? And similar to me, mainly uses them as an excuse to hang out. Another podcast that inspired You Are the Genre is Screaming into the Hollywood Abyss. Writer and producer Noah Evslin and podcaster Dan Rustine 
chat with guests about dealing with rejection, failure, and adversity in the entertainment business. And lastly, but not leastly, is the Life Writing Podcast, where married sci-fi and horror writers Stephen Barnes, no relation that I know of, and Tanana Reeve Du give amazing tips on how to navigate your writing career. I get excited whenever a new episode of each of those shows drops, and if you're enjoying this one, go ahead and press the subscribe button on those as well. And if you're really enjoying this one, you can pay for a subscription to my newsletter for early access to episodes in addition to things like daily jokes and the occasional essay. You can find links to everything I just mentioned in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Where were we? You had an interesting time at The Daily Show where like, you were briefly a correspondent and then... Then you kind of weren't. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that that feels like a interesting moment, right? Because was it a generic want, or are you, were you one of those people who were like, I secretly want to host a late night show, or was it still generally like, I just want to be a part of the comedy community? Um, it, there was certainly a secret want to be on SNL, and then once I started working at the daily show and once I got the internship, I was like, Oh, I want to be a correspondent. That'd be really cool. And so that it was kind of always there, but it didn't really come up until John Stewart was leaving and Trevor Noah opened up auditions in house, which was something that wasn't really done before. And so, yeah, I tapped into some delusion for that for sure, where I just um, <laughs> convinced myself I was going to get this job. And I don't know, yeah where I mean that delusion came from God truly I was like <laughs> I don't know how I feel so strongly about this but I just know it's true and so did it did yeah. it sting when it didn't you know you weren't called back to to appear more often or was there oh an, yeah an, okay yeah yeah for sure I mean it was pro- probably one of the probably the hardest thing in my career so far that I had to process and it, it just you know, I think I was 25, 26. And to be like, offered, like, shown, you know, the Mm -hmm. the keys, the gates to, to heaven, and and then (laughs) have the door kind of close on you uh, after you thought you were in it's Yeah, it's, it's certainly like, a devastation at that age that like took a while to kind of come to terms with and and it's you know unfortunately just like a lesson of the industry and of of writing and creating in general that like so much of this is taste and it's not necessarily about if you don't get something it's not because you're not good all the time it's it's like there are tastes involved and and styles and opinions on those things and um yeah but it's you don't think that way when you're 25 and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I, I feel like as soon as uh, back in Chicago, I produced a couple stand-up shows. And as soon as I was on that other end of like figuring out who you're going to book on a show, that's mm. when that was my first, like, Oh, there's way more going on about decisions of who, like, that's where I kind of freed yeah. my mind of like even worrying about that stuff. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, of course. Like there's like five people who have to like come to an agreement on, on five people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. And like, do you ever watch a show too? And, and be like, um, you know, these are all good actors, but like this actor could have never been this actor, like, or or this character, you know, like I'm just thinking about this. I'm, I'm watching a lot of Felicity and like, um, Scott Foley. I don't, I, have you watched Felicity, by the way? No, but it's on my list. Like, I really want oh, to watch Felicity. I, okay. I, I haven't finished. Um, I don't know why I connect these two, but Allie McBeal, like five years ago, I was like, I just have vague memories of seeing clips of Allie McBeal when I was a kid. And I really <laughs> want to make sense of them. <laughs> so I just. <laughs> That's funny you say that because did, did people tell you this when Lizzie McGuire came out? They're like, it's like Allie McBeal for kids. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what's Allie McBeal? <laughs> and I haven't thought of it since, honestly. And I, uh, I should investigate that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a fun weird show. I mean, they're lawyers and they have a gender neutral bathroom and but how is Felicity? It's so good. We didn't even get to the genre of rom-com, which I feel like is my my leading genre. You know, the premise of it is she's her high school crush. It's graduation, she's set to go to Stanford and become a doctor. 
and she approaches her high school crush and she asks him to write in her yearbook. And he writes this amazing entry that's like, I've always wondered about you. I, I, I wish I talked to you and I never did. And now I'm just always going to wonder, essentially. And so she uproots her entire plan to follow him to NYU, but it's called New York University. And so she moves to New York to follow her crush. And that's the premise. And of course, it becomes that she's, it's not just about the crush. It's about making your own decisions. But it's centered on a love triangle. And the, the initial reason I had brought this up was Scott Foley, who plays one of the people in the love triangle, like had auditioned for Scott Speedman's role, who is this other, uh, the other person in the love triangle. And they're just so different. But I had heard a story that he like, you know, he really wanted the role of Ben. But the, it goes into casting. You, you realize like, sometimes you just like it isn't about being good or not good it's just about like where you fit in you know anyway that's my felicity my my plug for felicity you gotta watch it (laughs) (laughs) um so you mentioned the fact that you aren't performing as much now so i feel like that's a perfect bridge into the question of like what's your relationship with i suppose like comedy performance now Oh, it's so complicated, Tim. <laughs> um, I I love it. It's the biggest high. I think one of the biggest highs I've had, but the lows got so low, I guess. And, and it kind of started around like leaving the Daily Show and, and like the correspondence stuff not working out is when it kind of it was really when it when this like happened. But I, I think there was other things involved too, like the you know, I have such social anxiety and the social part of doing shows and being in comedy was kind of hard for me to like stay consistent with. And, and so it just kind of fell, um, fell to the side and writing has kind of been always been a, a com- you know, as not that it's always fun and easy and soothing, but like it's, it's, it's been comforting to, to hide behind the page a little bit and feel a little bit more like, in my head in a way that, or or like processing what's in my head is is a little bit more, I don't know what is suited for me right now, but I love, you know, I would love, would love to be an actor, but (laughs) it's just kind of fraught right now. You're a great actor and you, you know, you're in in your films, you're acting in them. And so that feels like your, your path towards doing that. Um, But I'm in the same boat about performance. I think since the pandemic, yeah, since the pandemic and, um, and also, like being in the pandemic, and like literally, you know, it's dangerous to to perform. Yeah. Um, and then being super busy uh, writing for the Tonight Show at the time, mm. um, and then the anxiety I really identify with with that. Like, so much of being a part of the comedy scene is like being a you know social and making sure that people see your face a lot and know yeah. that you're like, especially stand up. Like, you just want everyone to know how. F- funny you are in yeah. an almost like a dictator uh sort of way like you are trying to uh <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um and i i don't i don't connect with that feeling as much but i feel i feel like it's also connected to like how many shifts have happened overall um in media so like even you talking mm-hmm. about john stewart passing the torch to uh trevor noah from afar that was kind of that was a lot for me to like recover from just like, cause I was such a huge fan of John Stewart's reign as the daily show. Like he was the daily show to me. Yeah. And when Trevor Noah took over, it, it felt like the beginning of so many seismic shifts just in terms of goals. Like I, I feel like I had a vague goal that wasn't specific. It was like, Oh yeah, I'd love to be a correspondent on, on the daily show, which to me was tethered to John Stewart. Then Colbert takes over from Letterman, so like all these different things. I'm trying to uh, like attach myself to like yeah. now the, the actual like the soul of these things that were like the, the goalposts ha- has shifted, and I have to like, figure out how to shift with it so that my goals stay intact. But then as things kept going, like certain things like stand up specials don't mean what they used to be. Mm. TV isn't even doesn't even feel like TV like whatever the magic. Doesn't it feel like the same magical thing that we were watching reruns of the Twilight Zone with with our uh, dad on? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, like the the thing of it all is not the same, and so I feel like that's connected as well to why I'm not um, as into stand up because it's uh, it's 
it's in a way it's freeing because it feels like the reason to do it should be the reason you're doing it the whole time. Just like the pure joy of, of laughter and that recognition yeah. that you're talking about. But the material parts of it have shifted so far where it's like, I don't like the, 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 la- there's no ladder to climb anymore. It's just, um, oh my gosh, just a big net. Go up, down. Yeah. Um, well, that I'm curious, like, what does give you that feeling of watching Conan Young, watching for me, like Twilight Zone? Like, you know, is there something right now that that does give you that feeling of I really like this, whether it's something you're working on or something you're watching? Like, when do you feel that? Lately, it has been the things that I'm that I'm working on. Like, I've they're not great, but I've been writing science fiction short stories and just the feeling of like completing a short story so cool. and, and posting it feels great without uh, and 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 that way that I was talking about the way stand up should feel now where it's like you're just doing it for the pure joy of it it feels like in yeah. a way I'm I'm open micing my prose skills cuz I've never really developed it but it feels I great to like cuz you have to think about character in such a 360 way for a short story or you know in that mm-hmm. style where it's like what's happening in his mind what's he smelling all these things that you don't have to think about <laughs> or that would have to be dialogue in a <laughs> in a TV show. Sure. Um, that That's exciting. And so to, yeah. and you know, crafting a sentence in a paragraph and all that kind of stuff. And also just learning the rules of it is uh, similar to the excitement of like learning the rules of the weird social rules of standup that you don't understand until you start doing it of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's how you write a thought. It's just italics without quotes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta learn somewhere. <laughs> you gotta learn somewhere. <laughs> so it's it's silly, but it, yeah, that's uh, that's that's been the excitement for me, and and I feel like I've gotten closer to writing in a way that's not trying to chase the medium, but it is yeah. genuinely writing something that I want to exist. Um, and then hopefully that helps out when, you know, for whatever people want to look at something. Well, I think there is something <laughs> interesting about the fact that you are working on one of the greatest shows of all time, This Fool, which is the uh-huh. most California show I can imagine. And this comes at a time where you are re-embracing the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. What? What? Uh, <laughs> well, I guess I guess I'm kind of shocked because like the fact that you wrote a paper about water in California in a in college, despite the fact right. that it seems like you you had a sort of disdain for the West Coast, and that's what prompted you to move to the East Coast. Well, like what, what was that? What yeah. was that about? I think it was running away from. I'd say running away from my family, but I, I was in that age of like wanting to be independent and New York always looked good to me on screen. I latched onto that pretty early on. And, and then it wasn't until being in college and studying California history that I started to really feel like a Californian in a way that I didn't quite log for myself. I guess kind of like in Lady Bird when she's like, oh yeah, I do like Sacramento. There's something that is kind of weird and magical about California the way you kind of talk about how the names even just sound like areas of like land yeah, of Star yeah. Wars and like <laughs> Oceanside um, you know the yeah. mountains <laughs> yeah like the mountains on the ocean it's weird the desert like the highest you know elevation in the in the country is like 80 miles away from the lowest elevation in the country and it's just like a weird place and a weird mix and a weird mythology and And very new and very new yeah and that's what all the all the other historians in my department looked down on me because they were like california you know that's not real history this this happened and like i i do understand that sentiment but like to some extent but there's so much there's so much sad Mm -hmm. history here there's so much history we don't know because it was erased and there was like there's like an insane greed and and I don't know projection of wants as from a society on this place and meanwhile it's also this refuge and also yeah. this like barometer for like change in the country I don't know I I, I guess I'm kind of just waxing poetic but like 
one of the things that I love about this school so much is it is this kind of a weird show in the way that California is kind of weird and LA is kind of weird when you, when you know it the way I think we know it Mm. growing up around here, as opposed to like, yeah, what I love love the most is how it highlights like class friction, race friction in a very like earnest way. Like this is just a scenario and sometimes people ease in and out of those, those different factions. Like that's, (laughs) that is the most California thing of it all. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not like it's not like gangs of New York. It's like right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little it's a little different from gangs of New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like all right, Tim, your analogies are getting a little too far. Oh, um, no, it's I, a little. I, I, I definitely was like, no, you're right. <laughs> but I also was 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 thinking, oh God, I haven't seen that movie, but yeah. I know I know what I mean. <laughs> um i know far less about california than you do i think as a you know your college graduate graduate wrote a paper about water but um uh the fact that i i had a similar kind of circling back like wait where is like what is this place and why you know how did i as a black person get here why do we as californians care about an independence day that happened far away like all mm-hmm. the way on the other coast like mm-hmm. it feels like an act of like like america wouldn't exist uh, on this big of amount of land if it wasn't for like the constant evolution of media it would be at newspapers and radio and all that kind of stuff because we're tethered mm-hmm. by all of that stuff it, there's no way that we would be shooting fireworks in california for something that happened just like that far away like it's insane <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you do you know what's psychotic to think of people walking on their feet from from the Midwest yeah. to California, crossing mountain passes, and being like, "This is going to be a better life." Yeah, like yeah. it's truly crazy. Yeah, are you yeah. kidding me? And so, and so I, the fact <laughs> the fact that this is the end of manifest destiny, like literally, the, you can't get further than. California, and that this is also the place where we project, like this is the hub of Hollywood and 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 of all that stuff. This is where we project all of the magical stuff for the whole mm. country and the whole world at the, at the end of this this up dream. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, Tim, do you think that takes us to outer space as like Maybe. the final frontier? <laughs> <laughs> We, we, the West and space has kind of been, oh, yeah. you know, uh, uh, like there have been a lot of parallels. The space Western is very intriguing to me. I, I feel like maybe it's the same goddamn thing. We're like, yeah. it's this, this other place where we can project our wants and our ideas and create a mythology around it and then bend reality until it fits our fantasy, Yeah, which is like so interesting to me. Do you want to go to outer space or are you like, I'm good? <laughs> I am so afraid of just the experience of being on a rocket ship. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm and I, I have I, I, I generally don't like roller coasters. Once I'm in it, it's like, OK, um, I'm on it. But I can't get over the fact that this is just a very dangerous thing to be doing and all just for a thrill. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I guess fun as it is, it's like, I don't know, I guess, yeah, it's, yeah, roller... I don't know what we're talking about anymore, but space. space. Um, I guess I should, I, like, I asked all three of the questions that I have in mind for this show, but what are, what are the, some of the keys uh, of being the genre for you that, that you've kind of discovered uh, so far in your career? Okay, I'm not really into astrology uh, in a way, and not that I, like, necessarily look down upon it, but I just really don't know it very well. But do you know that there's like a sun sign, a moon sign, and a rising sign? Do you know about this? 
I've heard those words. Yes. Okay, okay. So so the idea, as I understand it, is like the sun is like your main your main personality, your main thing. Hmm. Your moon is like who you can be when you're really comfortable, when you feel really safe. And then your rising is like kind of how you come off to other people or how you want to come off to other people. Mm. And I think my genres kind of are those things. Like my son would be like rom-com. That's who I think I am. I like a rom-com. I want to write a rom-com. I like the comedy. I love the romance. I think my moon is this sci-fi and magical realism and fantasy that kind of comes from a comes from a really formative time mm. uh, in my life. And then I, I think like my rising would be like, I don't know, all the, all the smart indie films. I want people to think I like that, mm. that I do kind of like, but I, I don't get all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like, I, I, but I want to, again, it's like that thing. Like I want to be perceived as like yeah. smart or intellectual and not that I think whatever I, 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 I know I have, intellectualism or whatever but like it's sometimes it's stuff that just goes over my head and but i but i do get drawn to it because i want to like it i guess you want the like a confident intellectualism so it sounds to me like the sun rom-com is the princess uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) the moon Mm -hmm. um science fiction is is god religion magic and Uh, uh um, uh the uh the moon is 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 you as a kid not trying wanting to understand why the circle isn't a square is like you wanting to just wanting the answer yeah 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 but it's interesting i feel like i could keep talking about this forever because even just in like thinking about tone i i don't know where comedy and drama like sits in all of that in terms of like so those are like genres of things i like but I want all of them to have whatever my genre is of a, a mix of the comedy and the drama that I like, you know, that I can balance um, with the surrealism or with the romance or whatever. I guess maybe it's all, I I, I don't know. It's all just a big pot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to like add in whatever yeah. you want to add in. And then that's enough because you are enough and mm. i don't know it's, it's hard to remember that all the time but yeah. I, i'd like to remember it more but it also feels like that's kind of the the new thing that um our our generation seems yeah. to be forging is is like you know atlanta and all these like different shows even like this fool to some extent is, is like that switches from genres very intensely i feel like, right um, right is um cultivating that and then it just makes me think of how people talk about how there aren't movie stars anymore there's just like ip that is uh, possessed by <laughs> that possesses a movie star <laughs> it seems like <laughs> ip that possesses an actor the actor isn't a star but because the spirit of captain america possesses this actor they uh <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, I, I do want to quickly say that I think Tom Cruise, I think Tom Cruise did a lot of good for us with Top Gun Maverick. That's true. I think I, I think he like I'm only talking about this because I just recently saw it for the first time and it was in the theaters and I was like, damn, thank you, Tom Cruise. You gave <laughs> us something so like re- re- I talk about things that like remind you of feelings that re- that are reasons you got into this or reasons that you're drawn to and all this like going to see maverick seeing it on the big screen i'm not i don't know my dad worked on airplanes so i'm drawn to it in that way but like i don't normally i don't like the military i mean i (laughs) I don't like military but like i i'm not like drawn to like military films whatever okay i don't know why i started talking about top gun maverick Tom Cruise. Oh, uh, just IP know. possessing actors, uh, which yeah. is my favorite new <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> yes, IP possessing actors. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think uh, yeah, I, I see where you where you were going there. I think. Um, <laughs> well, this is uh, this has been a great conversation. Tim, thank you. Thanks again to Eliza Cosio for joining me on this first episode. You can learn more about everything she's up to at ElizaCosio.com. This episode was edited and produced by, well, me. Freddie Nunez created the theme song and Adam Smith produced it. Hire both of those guys to do something, will ya? 
Comedian and former TV critic Ashley Ray joins me next week. This is Tim Barnes signing off with your weekly reminder that you are the genre. Stay tuned after the song for the end of my rant. First I got your voicemail, then I got you. But we can meet in person or maybe on Zoom. So tell me what your genre, tell me what do you do? I'd like to know the things that specifically make you But it felt like I was in a really long episode of The Twilight Zone, where I had been abducted by aliens and tasked with writing jokes for someone with no studio audience because they were talking into a camera in their garage or wherever the hell Jimmy was in those at-home episodes. This twisted, sick experiment made me question everything about comedy. Where does the joy really come from when you produce a game for two celebrities to play and there isn't a crowd to laugh or cheer them on? Where is the value in it for me watching it all happen live on a Zoom? Two adult celebrities playing a game for no one that they know will be transmitted to the world hours later. As Jimmy and the crew slowly got further into the studio life, there was still a good chunk of time where us writers were working from home. And for the record, I've never stepped foot in 30 Rock for that job, since I left the show to write for a Nickelodeon sitcom after one and a half years of this bizarre social experiment. That only made the disconnect stranger. I remember I was producing a segment called Hashtags, that relies on Jimmy reading funny tweets that people had written from a stack of blue cards on his desk. I've never seen those blue cards in person, but every week, a frantic panic energy was centered on them, despite me being in my apartment miles away from 30 Rock. Hey, Tim, are the blue cards ready to be printed? Someone would frantically type into an email or Slack message, and I try to imagine that printer and the person whose job it was to rush that stack of cards onto Jimmy's desk. I do my best to play along with this idea that these distant blue cards are real and that they really mean something to me. But slowly, I realized that I felt the same way about comedy itself. What was my relationship to this pursuit that once felt so tangible in a world that's clearly falling apart? And will people notice if I just play along? I think what was really happening here is that I had distanced myself from the nucleus of creativity that fueled me for so long. And I needed to take a break to reintroduce myself to the genres that influenced me in my youth, embrace the crafts I pursued along the way, and figure out what my relationship to all those things are now. I think I've done that, but tell me, what are the blue cards in your life?